and welcome to Sounding Out with Izzy, the podcast where we have conversations with musicians, music producers, publicists, live promoters, zine makers, journalists, and more about their experiences working in the music industry as women, non-binary, and queer femme people. I'm your host, Isabel Corp, the founder of the Queer Femme music-based blog and YouTube channel, A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Today you will hear my conversation with Ashley Kosakowski, the ringleader of Brooklyn-based Riot Girl post-punk outfit Groupie. Groupie originated when Ashley first picked up a bass and put out a Craigslist ad looking for people to jam with. This ad was answered by guitarist Johanna Healy, and Groupie was formed. Ashley and I discuss Groupie's debut album, Ephemeral, and we also share our complex relationships with bygone rock and roll heroes, as well as the lasting impact of the Riot Girl movement. And sadly, this hadn't been announced yet until after our conversation, but Ashley will also be playing bass for indie pop duo Kafune on their upcoming tour opening for churches, so that's exciting. And before we transition into our conversation, huge trigger warning as we do discuss sexual harassment in the workplace, so listener discretion is advised. As usual, I would like to remind listeners that I am paying for the podcast out of pocket, so if you would like to help me continue to create more episodes and maybe buy me a coffee as well, please consider donating to or checking out my Patreon at patreon.com backslash a girl's two sound sense. That's girl with three R's and no I. Those who join my Patreon will get to unlock bonus content, including music-based film reviews with special guests, unheard and unedited conversations in podcast episodes, playlists curated by yours truly, as well as early access to some of my YouTube content. However, I understand that finances are tight for many people, so if you are unable to join the Patreon, I fully understand. All I ask is that you give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as that really helps me out in my effort to get the podcast in front of more people. And without further ado, let's get right into this episode. How are you? All right. How are you doing? I'm good. Good shirt also. Thank you. I'm still in my pajamas. <laughs> oh my God. I literally just changed out of my bathroom. So <laughs> I was like, I probably, I was about to join and I was like, I probably honestly should put a shirt on. This is a little embarrassing. <laughs> and then I, I uh, yeah, but it's all good. <laughs> I completely feel you. <gasps> Tell me about the beginning of the band, because if, if my research proves correct, it started with a Craigslist ad, right? Yes. I guess I always wanted to play music, but I never really got the chance to growing up. I feel like I was just like much more focused on school. And then once I finished college, I was like, okay, the time is now. I must do this. And then it's like, but how do I start? This just doesn't seem feasible at all. And I started reading about Riot Girl. 
and how they basically started, you know, just they had something to say and then they just picked up their instruments along the way. And uh, yeah, so I put out a Craigslist ad that talked about that. It started out with just like, I have no official music experience, <laughs> but I've been a fan for a long time. And then something about that made Johanna want to respond to it. And we had a lot of common interests and shared influences. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. <laughs> that's amazing. I what, what year was this, by the way? This was October 2015. Wow. So it's been seven years. That's so crazy when you say it like that. Yeah, I guess it has. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. And what would you say is the general ethos of groupie just in general? That's a good question. I I feel like a lot of it is, you know, and th- there's been a lot of changes over the years, but I feel like our, our roots are still there. Just like, you know, if you have something to say, go out and say it. Just like a lot of trying to like distill feelings and whatever, you know, into a song and like hoping that that would mean something to someone who's listening to it. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess that, that uh, yeah, a lot of just like DIY punk ethos at the root, I think. And that's just kind of evolves into, you know, different things over time. But I think that's, that's the core. Yeah. And another thing that I picked up as well, which I thought was cool, was the way you're sort of flipping and stretching the preconceived ideas of all the different positions that women occupy in these spaces, specifically migrating from being at the shows, being in the pit, to deciding to take the stage yourself. I was wondering if there's anything on that specific journey that you really appreciate or really wanted to shed light on? Yeah, I I feel like I, at different points of my life, kind of occupied like a lot of different spaces within the music scene. Like I, I started going to DIY shows in high school and, you know, just like was just a very passionate fan. And then I started taking photos. I went my first tour was taking photos and, uh, and then, but like the whole time I just knew, I just really want to be up there. You know? <laughs> uh, and I think it just took a while to picture myself actually doing it and like to have the confidence doing it. That definitely took a long time to build up. Like that wasn't really something like, I don't, I don't come from a family of musicians. I don't like that. It was like mostly the like what I was raised on is like, okay, you have to like work really hard and like make sure you make money and things like that. And like, you know, so it wasn't necessarily a part of my upbringing to think about like art and music and stuff like that. So it took a long time to picture myself up there and like, and doing it, but I'm, I'm glad that I like finally pushed myself to do it. And I encourage anyone who's had that like lingering feeling in the back of their heads to do the same, you know, to like, yeah, it's going to be terrifying for like a while, honestly. Sometimes it still is, <laughs> but eventually you'll get used to it. Yeah. Can you recall some of the first people or records you came across that got you into punk initially? Um, yeah, I think so. A lot of it, uh, I would say, honestly, that what kind of like struck me the most 
in terms of punk was yeah like riot girl stuff just like listening to king kill and you know just i feel like that general ethos just really struck me more than anything and then there are a lot of records that like just musically i was really into as well at that time and i feel like this answer is vague I could do a better job, but I'm not. But yeah, I guess also Patti Smith has just been kind of a like a hero throughout because just, you know, I just have perspected like, like multiple aspects of her career, like her relationship with Robert Maplethorpe and things like that. So she was definitely a really big influence too early on. Also, like when I learned about Slater Kinney, I was like, oh god like this is i want to be them <laughs> like yeah so I, I guess that's some of uh, yeah i feel the same way about slater kinney yeah nice <laughs> yeah and you also wrote no hands based on a passage in patty smith's m train right yeah that was like the most serendipitous of all of our songs honestly like Johanna and I were just sitting in our practice space and she had come up with like the intro bass line so we were just kind of figuring out where to go next and then we came up with a progression and then uh we were both kind of like fumbling around in our notebooks she was like oh I think this I think I have this like kind of cool passage that I wrote based off of a book I'm reading and I was like oh yeah me too actually and then like we pulled it up it was based off of the same passage in the same book. We are like, what is going on? So the first verse is like her take on that passage. And then the second verse is my take on it. And then, uh, yeah. And Patty Smith is just talking about like the passing of time and how she prefers to think about it as like a clock with no hands, which is where the, the name no hands for the song came from. Yeah. That's really cool that you just happened to pick the same passage from the same <laughs> yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Just everything aligned. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What type of like writing or prose style do you gravitate to the most in your writing? I feel like most of my writing has been personal. I find that like I write like the most when I'm just feeling like super emotional and I I don't think that's like a unique thing at all but you know like the first song we ever wrote was for you which is like I wrote the lyrics after I was like sexually harassed at my job and like I mean it was just like this like passionate anger that I couldn't really like funnel into anything else I think now I am kind of like moving into trying to like tell other stories and like I don't know, just kind of have more symbolism. And so it's not like as like direct and personal, though it still could have elements of that. But yeah, I think that's kind of what moving more towards it. I feel like it's not like the anger is different, like especially with like the Supreme Court ruling yesterday. It's it's not like I'm not angry anymore. It's it's more just like kind of evolves and like sometimes numb. So like sometimes it's like mm. harder to like have a more like, intense personal take that like will result in a song kind of that makes sense yeah that makes sense and I but I yeah I at the same time I do appreciate and poor you the kind of a tone you adopt where you're just like oh boo freaking who you're actually <laughs> facing consequences for something you did oh wow 
Yeah, which he didn't actually. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was just my fantasy world. He did eventually get fired, but just because he was bad at his job. So you know, <laughs> so it goes. But nice to fantasize. <laughs> yeah, and what I really love about Thick as Glue is how bluntly it tackles the way that a lot of male rock stars, quote unquote, like heroic men singing about heroin, are looked at by women specifically. And I was wondering if you have any, if there's any like specific personal stories that you have that sort of align with that. Cause that's, it's just like that Slater Kinney song, male model that they basically tackle the same thing. Yeah. 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 So Johanna wrote that one. So she would definitely be able to speak to it better than I can, but the ways that I can relate to it. I, I had, I guess I've, a lot of people have an emo phase, but I like really had an emo phase when I was growing up because I grew up in Chicago. And so I feel like Midwest emo is like <laughs> kind of a thing. And so a lot of the shows that I went to early on were that. And I feel like I ended up idolizing a lot of people that, you know, thinking back on it now, it's like, wow, like you were just a shitty dude. And somehow I like idolized you and I don't like, the guy from brand new for example it's like yeah your songs are creepy as hell it's no surprise that you're a predator but like <laughs> you know at that time i was like oh wow he's so smart and like his songs are so cool and uh, yeah so i i feel like i johanna kind of grew up on like lou reed and you know a lot of other early punk men and so i feel like she could have like more commentary on that but that that was kind of my experience where you know, getting older, you're like, you re- you have this point of realization where it's just like, why, why am I looking up to you? You're actually not that great and you're not inclusive at all. And yeah, so I definitely had that breaking moment. Yeah. You know, you know what's interesting is a, a way I can relate to that. Like when I, when I heard like the lyrics, like, uh, especially the opening lyrics that Johanna wrote and the then the thick is glue, but leather looks better. It yeah. reminded me of the relationship that I had growing up. People, like you said, like how she idolized people like Lou Reed. Even for me, it was even people like who seem like close descendants of Lou Reed in another century, like people like the Strokes. And you know, what was really funny was that during 2020 lockdown, I fell back into my Strokes phase. And, but kind of like with that consciousness of, yeah, okay, so you kind of low-key suck. Just like every time Julian Casablanca opens his mouth, I'm just ready to be like, oh, Lord. Yeah, like, Turn him please, off. <laughs> please just give us a break. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And, but also at the same time, I was, I, I, I kind of like started psychoanalyzing my relationship to that. I was like, did I really idolize him or did I just really, really want, wish I could fuse with that image and become him? Imagine yes. if I could adopt that, the like sort of that stature of power. But yeah. that's never going <laughs> to happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. And it's like, how, how can you flow through life so effortlessly? And like, yeah, I don't know. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And like, I had an emo phase too, as well. Like, yeah. 
And just like realizing now, like, oh my God. Oof. Oof. Exactly. It's like, oh man. Just I, I don't know, especially there there are some musicians from that scene that I still respect, but a lot of them, it's like, man, it's just a lot of like just I don't know, skinny straight white boys with like swoopy hair singing about how girls have betrayed them. And it's just like, man, like, how did I not see through that? (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. (laughs) I do now. (laughs) Did you read Jessica Hopper's essay about emo that she wrote in 2003? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was that from a collection? What was it called? A collection of essays by a female rock critic or something? Yeah. 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 That was good. Yeah. But yeah, like she said, women in like early post-hardcore songs were fully developed characters. Like they weren't just like people, like bodies to be bedded or dumped or be dumped Mm. by and stuff like that. And the fact that it sort of became that, like, I think I'm not, I'm not trying to like, I don't know, slight Chris Caraba as a person, but I think Dashboard Confessional is largely to blame. (laughs) <laughs> brand new but, too and they they, yeah. they deserve all the slander yeah yeah absolutely yeah. trash yeah. garbage dumpster like you know that one <laughs> clip <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i I've, I've been reading in some of your interviews that you've done prior that you name drop a lot of different music-based books like sadie dupuis book or yeah. girls to the front or M train. I was wondering if there are any other music based books that you really love. Cause I love reading music based books. Ooh, oh, I can see my, my shelf from here. Okay. Let's see. So I would say just kids, I think was amazing. That's, I feel like everybody has probably read that at that, at this point, but I, I liked that a lot better than M train. Honestly, like M train was great in terms of like little vignettes of New York city and just like coffee shops and stuff. But that like just kids did, I don't know, that was, it was like more touching and emotional to me. Girls to the front. I mean, that that's the book that I was reading when I wrote the Craigslist ad, like that book kind of changed my life. I would say (laughs) I was not too thrilled about meet me in the bathroom. I know a lot of people really love that book. That wasn't necessarily my scene. Like, I I didn't really, like, listen to a lot of those bands. And also, I mostly just wanted more about the AAS. And there's, like, only a little bit about about them. And you know what's really weird is Lizzie Goodman said that the AAS is her favorite band of all time from that scene. And she didn't even include them enough. Like, what the fuck, Lizzie? Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, Kate, Kate, you were continuing, so go oh, Sorry. yeah, no, no, it's like, yeah, very <laughs> necessary interjection, because like, yeah, it's, I, I was like, why, why is she not in there more, like, we need that, uh, let's see, I, uh, damn it, there's like one part of my bookshelf that is, oh, I really liked uh, Beneath the Underdog, <laughs> Charles Mingus's was an autobiography, I just, thought that that was like I don't know I mean some of it is just like so outlandish and hilarious and yeah I mean that was awesome okay Kim Gordon's book Kim Gordon's book 
Corona bands. Yeah, I thought the first chapter was like the most one of the most heartbreaking things I've read. Just she's talking about finding out that Thurston Moore cheated on her like right before they were going on stage in Sao Paulo and still having to like play the show and having to play songs that they like wrote together about like their relationship and stuff like that. And her like almost breaking down on stage. That was like the most just like the most heartbreaking thing to me. Also, like, how could you cheat on someone like Kim Gordon? Come on. And so that uh, the rest of the book didn't. I feel like it was a lot of just like, like, you know, just talking about the names and the scene, which is fine, but not like as interesting to me. And then lastly, this one called Rip It Up, The Black Experience in Rock and Roll. I really loved that because it kind of goes through a lot of the early rock and roll bands that like, I feel like are not given, you know, like, let's just say it, like Black people started rock and roll. And I feel like a lot of people tend to forget that. And that book does a really good job of like walking through a lot of the bands and then how they influenced rock to come so like Sly and the Family Stone stuff like that so I thought that one was really good too it's like a lesser known one I like happened upon that like a used bookstore and I was like oh yeah I definitely want to read this and it it held up it was cool yeah there's so many yeah there's those are all like really great books and you know you know what is always my favorite part in a chat is when somebody is when the guest brings up meet me in the bathroom so I don't have to (laughs) I have I have I'm I think I'm so obsessed with that book purely because like I don't know I have such an attack such like an unhealthy attachment to the strokes just purely from my childhood Totally. Yeah. I feel like you're, what were your thoughts on that book? Cause if you're really into the strokes, I'm sure you like definitely had a lot of thoughts on the book. I thought that that, well, you know, what I thought was really interesting was the insight into how Julian Casablancas operates and how he works mm-hmm. because he's so peculiar. I don't think like that type of ch- chameleon or sphinx has ever like come across my radar when I've studied a musician behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and I just find it so fascinating too like and and also the way that he sort of has this Machiavellian hold on everybody else especially his bandmates Mm -hmm. and the way that people are so drawn to him that they tend to want to bend to all of his wishes I think he knows that Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know, the whole drama between them and Ryan Adams. I just, I don't know. I just thought that was so funny because like, like Ryan Adams just literally throws a tantrum on Twitter and the, and the strokes like don't even engage. I just think that's so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, I think Karen O has some of the most like important quotes in there because she was saying- totally. She was saying, you know what, there's a there's a legacy and a, a guide, a guidebook that's laid out for all these men. And I didn't have to do that. I said, fuck all that. And I threw it out the window. Totally. That's why I wanted more of her in there. I was like, this is the most interesting part of this book. And then I loved like her talking about her relationship with like her costume designer and things like that. Like I was like, please, like more of this. <laughs> yeah. 
And what what else can you tell me about the album? Because I really, I think it's pretty incredible. And I love that song that you wrote with your mom in Polish as well. Thanks. Yeah, I was really proud of that one. It was also really cool to work with my mom. I just knew I wanted to, you know, tell, communicate the feeling of immigration and just like being first generation. My parents are, for context, my parents are both from Poland. So they came here when they were really young or my mom was 21 and she was pregnant at the time. Like I can't even imagine that. And then my dad came over shortly after. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to communicate the feeling of, you know, feeling far away from your family back in your home country, feeling just kind of semi-removed from the culture. I know a lot of you know, first generation immigrants feel the same way. And there's been a lot of really cool art that's been made about this feeling. Um, but I just really didn't want to tell that story alone. And so I roped my, my mom in to write a verse. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool to, you know, work with her on that to try to tell that story. And I definitely want to write like A, more songs in Polish, and then B, maybe more songs with my mom. I think she really liked it too. We just had our record release show a year and a half after the fact, which is, I mean, kind of ridiculous, but like in the pandemic, anything goes, I feel like it's it's like we couldn't have it when it came out because that was January 2021. And then our one year anniversary show was during was scheduled to be when Omicron hit. And then, yes, yeah, so we pushed it to last summer or I mean this summer. And I wanted to like fly my mom out to be there but you know she like understandably is still nervous about COVID she hasn't gotten it yet so yeah I just I just like have this picture of us just like performing it together sometime and uh, yeah I guess just like generally about the album I I think the name is the name of it like ephemeral is like that kind of is a, a thread throughout and even throughout like the album art as well Johanna designed all of the album art. It's all like close-up imagery of flower petals. Mm-hmm. So she took the images and then kind of manipulated them to different color schemes. So each of the single, the singles that came out like have a similar vibe, like all made from you know images of these flower petals. And uh, yeah, like things like like waiting, for example. I wrote the lyrics for that when I was like in this holding pattern. I had, I had quit my job because I was going on like a few tours. And then I was kind of like applying to a bunch of jobs and waiting for either me to, for me to like go back to having a nine to five desk job. Or I was also like auditioning for this like kind of big band. And so I was like, which way is my life going to go? I'm like waiting for things to happen at me and to me. And I don't really have control and that was like, you know, in the grand scheme of my life was a very fleeting feeling. So it was kind of this ephemeral feeling. I and mean, I feel like a lot of the other stories and songs on the album kind of capture a similar like brief moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. How did you go about writing Critic's Eye? Because I found like, I found that one to really be a standout track as well. Cool. Yeah, that one Johanna wrote. Her lyrics for that song are based off of Courtney Love's viewpoint. So when she was getting accused of, you know, like 
either being the murderer of Kurt Cobain or like inadvertently like causing him to kill himself. Like all, all this crazy stuff that was getting put on her after his death. And, and so that song was written from her perspective. That's why it's like called Critics Eye. You know, everyone was just like looking at what she was doing and overanalyzing everything. And then like her album came out like a few days or weeks after his passing. And she got a lot of judgment for that too. It loves the lyrics that she wrote for that song. Yeah. That's amazing. I really love that concept because I... I could go on and on about how purely ridiculous that whole situation is. Also, what's his name? Tom Buttface. I don't care what his last name is. (laughs) That whole situation's just unfortunate. But, you know, and also it's so clear that she was taken advantage of because everyone knew who Kurt Cobain was. People wanted to cash in on his death. Yeah, exactly. Especially, and so people wrote books and doc and and shot documentaries accusing her of being some monstrous sea hag who destroyed her husband with her monstrous period. Like, (laughs) and exactly, I it's like, and here's another thing like, if you really do the research and look into what he was going through at the time. She was literally having to baby him every other day. Mm-hmm. He was already on his way out. Exactly. Yeah. But go ahead, blame his wife. Yeah. Because how very rational. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was so ridiculous. So, I feel like she still gets a lot of hate for it too, and it's like, what? Yeah, it's like, what year is this? <laughs> yes, exactly. Go fly to Washington and cry on his grave. I, I don't want to hear from you anymore. Like, like <laughs> yeah. people who are still like, yeah, oh my God. Ugh. Exactly. And another thing that I had written down, oh my God, I wrote down a, like a whole paragraph here. Um, nice. So your origin story on Craigslist, like when you said like, I, I don't have, I don't have experience, but I want to start a band. I immediately thought of Riot Girl when I read about that. And lo and behold, you were reading Girls to the Front at the time. Yeah. And I want to read a quote that you gave in the family reviews where you said, I didn't start digging into that until I went to college when someone I was living with at the time recommended Girls to the Front. I remember reading it on the bus to and from work when I first moved to New York and thinking, oh my God, they made such cool music and I could too. Maybe I should just put out a Craigslist ad and see what happens. And it definitely took a lot because I'm a pretty shyish person. So to gain the confidence to go on stage took a lot of time. And what I love about that quote that you gave is not only how it mirrors my own experience of discovering Riot Girl when I first moved to New York and read Girls to the Front, but, but it shows how powerful it is that a movement that happened over three decades ago is still changing lives now. Totally. When you consider like the magnitude of that, how does that make you feel? Like the magnitude of the impact of Riot Girl? Yeah. Because it directly changed your life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like just that ethos that like you can you can do it. Like you can be a musician if you want to be. If you have something to say, you can say it. Like 
feel like that is just like the most empowering, empowering message like of like, I, I know punk had that to some degree. It was like, oh, like we don't really have to play our instruments. We can just be loud and like, you know, fast and whatever. But then to take it to the next level of like giving a voice to people who may have not felt that they could say what they need to say. I think that it's just like incredibly powerful. And obviously Riot Girl had its issues too. You know, I, I, I feel like, yeah, it definitely did. But I think just the fact that it's still, as you said, like so many years later is still impacting people is amazing. Like I, I'm forever thankful for that movement because yeah, otherwise it's like, oh man, like I don't have any talent. Like I've, I've heard that from a lot of people. And I used to say that about myself too. It's like, oh, I wish I could play an instrument, but I'm not talented like that. Like, oh, like I can't really sing like that. Like, but then it's just like, who cares? Like you just, just go and do it and you'll learn and you'll get better. And like, uh, and yeah, I, I, I just, I think it's like the most amazing thing that, you know, could give you the power and the, the gumption to, <laughs> I've never used that word before, <laughs> but to just like go and do what you want to do. Yeah. And what I think is so cool is that oh, there were even women doing that, like at least two decades before, like Tina from yeah. Talking Heads, she had yes. no idea how to play. So yeah. she, she just picked up a bass and just hoped for the best but but went on the road and kept working at it and beating on her craft and she and now she's considered like one of the like when you hear the opening like quarter notes to psycho killer you yep, automatically I was think just about to say that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's literally like three notes but it's one of the most recognizable bass lines and i mean yeah she did that like it's awesome yeah And that was what like encouraged me to start playing bass was like learning that she, wait a minute, she didn't know how to play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's so fun too. I want to, I've been practicing like different songs every day. I, I, my goal by the end of the year is to learn how to play slap bass, like Larry Graham. That'd be so much fun. (laughs) That's awesome. That's very cool. And you play bass, right? Yeah, I play bass. I can't play slap bass yet, though I've tried on and off, and it is a goal of mine. (laughs) Yeah. I I think you were just about to say something, and I cut you off. Sorry about that. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, I think I was going to ask you, are are you in any projects right now? In any, like, you mean, like, musical projects? That would be kind of cool. I only just started playing in, like, February, but maybe, maybe one day. That'd be fun. Yeah, totally. That's the, that's honestly like the fastest way to learn is just like, I I love being in bands that everyone else is better than me. <laughs> I mean, it's intimidating, but like you learn fast and as long as they're like nice people, they'll help you learn. And yeah, that was like, and it also keeps you accountable. You know, it's like, oh, if I don't know my part, then like I'll be dragging everyone down. Like, and so it, it kind of like, helps you keep going at least that that was helpful for me when I was learning yeah so yeah definitely encourage that for sure yeah I'm taking an online course right now and what was nice was that I got to handpick the instructor so of course like everyone recommended to me were a bunch of dudes and I kept scrolling I was like I'm not picking anyone unless they're a lady (laughs) yeah 
Sarah Lando was, I, I took a few classes from her and then I started taking some guitar lessons from her as well. She's amazing. If you're ever looking for a teacher, she, she actually recently moved out to California, but she was in New York for a long time before that. Yeah. She definitely helped me out a lot. It was always just like a very positive force. So she's awesome. Actually, her mom adopted one of my, my parents had. What are some of your favorite people making music right now? One of my favorite New York local bands is St. Mellow. We played a show with them last fall. I just, yeah, they're incredible and they're so good live. So if you have a chance to see them, it's like Saint, S-A-I-N-T, and then Mela, M-E-L-A. I love them so much. They're so good. Who else? I'm trying to think of other, I feel like right now I've been like revisiting a lot of like older music. I'm trying to think of albums that have come out recently that I've been kind of obsessed with. And I am unfortunately drawing a blank. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's definitely a big recommendation. St. Mellon. Nice. Oh, Far Too Strange. Also, I think I haven't listened to his new album, but I am really excited to, I think it came out on Friday or last Friday. Yeah. And his live show is amazing too. I um, saw him open for car seat headrest at nice. Seal. Cool. That was amazing. Yeah. But he, yeah. yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. And Jordan Blakely, his drummer is like. Uh, yeah, she's amazing. Um, I also know her from like a few Brooklyn bands and I don't know, it's just been so amazing to like see her come up and she like just played Seth Meyers and like their, like their bands, it's called like the G8 band or something for like a week. I was like, man, you're the coolest person ever. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. She was definitely a standout part of the set. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Any, anytime. Yeah. Just cause with backing bands in general, it's like, even a lot of women are just hiring like four white dudes. And I'm like, but, but why not more ladies? Where are the totally. gals? Where are yeah. the pals? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Okay. I want to add three more to my list. I just put up two fingers and one is Agnaya uh, from Chicago. We, we've been friends since like, I was like going to he was one of the first musicians that I saw like when I was going to house shows in Chicago and I was like, Oh my God, you are the most talented person ever. Like, And I'm so glad that he is getting the recognition he deserves. I saw him play recently at Union Pool. That was incredible. Oceanator, Elise is amazing. And uh, yeah, we're neighbors and she's so good. So, and she put out a record time that is confusing, but I think it was this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah i'm forgetting the third person that i had in mind but there we go so Barty strange oceanator namdi and saint mella those are that's my answer to your question <laughs> amazing yeah i also wanted to ask you if you're a fan of like music based movies or if you have any favorite like fictional music Ooh. stories uh, that's cool. I trying to think. I know one just came out about the Sex Pistols, and I've been on the fence about watching it, but I heard good things. Uh, I also wanted to see Summer of Soul, uh, but I haven't seen that yet. I really liked. I guess this was like a the what was it called? Like the United States versus Billie Holiday. Oh yeah, 
that one was really good heartbreaking and really good uh, i'm trying to think of some other ones yeah are there any that that you really like yeah i'm actually i've started a little series where i invite people to watch music-based movies with me and then we do commentary on them me and my friend mia just did a revisit of nick and nora's infinite playlist which <laughs> nice. actually strangely holds up pretty well the only part of it that hasn't aged well is like they use the redacted artwork a few times in the dialogue but yeah yeah. I also really I really love a movie called Times Square do you know the movie Times Square I don't think so it's about two girls who meet in like an asylum and they escape together and then they start a band cool Um, awesome called the and they call themselves the sleaze sisters and they like throw tvs out of the five-story windows it's so cool and i also just went to a retrospective showing of velvet goldmine at the at tribeca okay cool and it was so i know that one it was so good it's like it's so interesting i would highly recommend it it's basically unauthorized david bowie and iggy pop fan fiction oh cool that's awesome. But it's really cool because like it was directed by Todd Haynes and he wanted to do like a Bowie biopic and but Bowie like declined. He was like, no, you don't get to use my music. And if you try to speculate on any part of my life in this screenplay, I'm suing. So <laughs> they restructured it and made it a fictional story. But you ah. can tell, but you can tell it's all based on Bowie. <laughs> Speaking of Tribeca, I I saw women who rock. Like it was like a it was one installment of like a four-part series. It's honestly really good. And Jen Pelly was moderating a pa- panel after afterwards. And yeah, she's actually the one who told me to read Girls to the Front. <laughs> and uh, we lived together for like a brief moment in time. Yeah, she moderated this awesome panel. That was cool. I wanted to see the other like three parts to the series. That's really cool. That's a good one. I watched Scott Pilgrim, like I think in the depths of Omicron. Yeah. <laughs> that one kind of held up too i was like this is entertaining <laughs> yeah it's like a it's like a fever dream like a mirage <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah the only thing the only bad thing about scott pilgrim is the scott pilgrim fanboys who think that he's not a terrible person and identify with him and i'm just like that's not what you're supposed to know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah true But yeah, and so is there anything else? Do you have any like shameless plugs that you'd like to um, promote before I let you go? We have a music video coming out uh, for our song Industry that's already out. So (laughs) it got just like delayed because of pandemic stuff. We're working on releasing a new single soon. We're working on, I mean, we haven't recorded it yet, but it's in my brain and it's going to come out hopefully this year. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. I, I'm going to be going on tour with another band for a little bit. So I feel like a lot of some stuff will be kind of paused for a little. Yeah, those are all my shameless plugs. <laughs> nice. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. And, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to see that music video and um, that upcoming tour you have. I'm sure you you have like a bunch of social media announcements lined up. So. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Well, have a great day and rest of your weekend. Thanks again. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Of course. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Sounding Out with Izzy. And thank you to Ashley from Groupie for joining me today. Remember to subscribe and sign up for the mailing list on my YouTube channel and written blog, both under the name A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're interested, consider donating to my Patreon at patreon.com backslash a girl's two sound sense. That's girl with three R's and no I. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode of Sounding Out with Izzy.